Hi, I'm Kevin Harrington, an original shark from the hit television show Shark Tank, and you're listening to the Underdog Podcast. I've been too high up to fall, question marks, what's up with y'all? All we know is over time, barking like some underdogs. Underdogs, underdogs, underdogs. All we know is over time, barking like some underdogs. Underdogs, 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 underdogs. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Underdog podcast today i have an incredible guest here with me tom how are you my friend awesome thanks so much for having me here pam i'm excited oh man it's an honor to have you here i i love your chill and calm vibe so i'm so excited to have you here today can't wait to hear your story and all the amazing things that you're up to so thank you again so much for being here tom yeah absolutely yeah thanks so much and just we're talking about how entrepreneurs they need to be able to thrive in chaos and i found with so many friends or other associates or or people i connect with when stuff really gets haywire whether it's a flood or an emergency situation the entrepreneurs are typically pretty level-headed because they're like oh this happens in my business every month every week you know (laughs) this is not that bad right so kudos to you for having such a good uh, mindset and positive attitude during a, a little bit of a stressful time as well Thank you so much, Tom. I just, I can't wait to hear your story. Like, oh man, I'm going to start off with a question. It's a bit loaded, but I think you're going to do well with it. What inspired you on your journey to where you are today, my friend? What inspired me was freedom and really being able to pursue what I want, when it, when I wanted to, with who I wanted to. So growing up, I have always really analyzed my environment and looked at other people's lives and situations and, you know, just thought about like, hey, well, what do I want for my life? And I looked at family members or friends or contacts that had financial independence or they had an abundance of money. And then I looked at people who did not. And I just thought, okay, well, to me, some people have accomplished it and some haven't. That to me, it looks like a decision, you know, it looks like a decision that I can make for my own life. Sure, I'm going to have to learn a lot of skills. Sure, I'm going to have to network. I'm going to have to grow myself to be able to accomplish it. It's probably not easy, you know, when I'm eight years old, 10 years old thinking this, but I just had this inherent belief that if I really wanted to try and pursue something, I would be able to. And I, of course, I had to build on that belief as well. But that's really where it came from was looking at other people and thinking, man, if I could choose to have a life with financial independence where money was not a problem versus having money being a problem, of course, I'm going to choose where it's not a problem. So I looked at that and I said, this is something that I want to solve in my life and for Mm -hmm. my family and for my friends as well. That's amazing. That's a lot of wisdom, my friend. (laughs) (laughs) So what did you want to be when you grew up as a kid? That's so funny because I was just talking to a friend two nights ago about this and it started out with I wanted to be a firefighter and a professional motocross rider. And I did volunteer firefighting in high school in grade 11. And then I also, I've been dirt biking since I was like, you know, 11 years old. So I kind of did both of those. And then once I learned a little bit more uh, about the world and started thinking about more about money, then I realized I wanted to be a business person. But that was once I actually learned a little bit about it. I love that. So who was your biggest, who or what was your biggest inspiration growing up? I would say what was my biggest inspiration would have been the money problem. And then who, you know, I, I think one thing I've always done exceptionally is realize that, hey, I'm not the number one guy. I'm not, I'm never going to be the number one guy. I need to find people that have accomplished more than I have, or having a mindset that I don't have. And whether that was a family member, an uncle, uh, my dad helped me with an investment space in the beginning, 
you know, learning that. And then it was really like audios, books. As soon as I read probably two books and realized how much two books could change my mindset, I was absolutely addicted to personal development. So I read like 300 books within like two and a half, three years. And I just started to crush them. And I found Tony Robbins and I found all of these amazing speakers. And I started to watch YouTube videos hours and hours on end podcasts, hours on end, anything I could get my hands on going to leadership seminars, et cetera, et cetera. And I was just like, man, like it was kind of weird because I'm not sure if you, I'm sure you probably read a book or listened to a podcast, especially Tony Robbins. He would highlight these like deficiencies in my own mindset. And he would like say something. I'm like, oh my God, I do that. I'm like, I don't want to do that anymore. Right. I want to work on that. I want to improve that, whether it's self-sabotage or lack of self-confidence. And I was like, so I'd listen to two or three hours of his materials, read his book. And then I'd be like, wow, I actually improved my confidence. And then that was so addictive because I could then identify in my life or my mindset what I wanted to improve on and realized I could improve upon it. And then I was like, I can be Wolverine. I can make myself indestructible. <laughs> like, you know, I just wanted to be so the true. best I could be. Right. So, yeah. That's amazing, Tom. Oh, my goodness. 300 books and yeah. two and a half. Oh my God. You got to give So what were the top three? There's so many, but I would say the the first ones that really like opened up my mind was Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. Of course, a classic How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie, classic and the Compound Effect by Darren Hardy. And I would say those three because they were probably the first three out of 10 that I read. And the amount of impact that those had on my mindset were so significant. Like it was absolutely incredible. So yeah, I would recommend those three to anybody who's getting started in business or personal development. I love that, Tom. So what were some of the most important lessons that you learned from those books? Just as there's a ton of entrepreneurs listening or aspiring entrepreneurs listening. So I definitely want to give them some golden nuggets and inspire them to read the books. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I'll also mention bold after I comment on these two, these three, because it's more of an advanced book. Compound effect, you know, really talks about my biggest takeaway was if you improve 1% a day, you know, just whether it's your physical fitness, whether it's your mindset, uh, whether it's reading 10 pages a day. And that's actually what I committed to was 10 pages a day, every day. And that was my bare minimum. Lots of times I would obviously read a heck of a lot more than that, but I just started building that habit and that routine and the power of habit and compound effect 1% better every day. Um, how to win friends and influence people, just communication skills on how to build relationships with people and how valuable that that is as a skill as well as sales. And then the third one with Think and Grow Rich was how much you know your mindset plays into who you want to become and what you want to accomplish. I love that. I love that. I haven't read Dale Carnegie's book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. I should, probably should check that one out. It's one and of the top. Yeah, I totally recommend it. I think it's one of the top 10 sold personal development books of all time. Think and Grow Rich is number one, I believe. Yes. And then Bold by Peter Diamond is phenomenal. He's got another book, Abundance, as well. But Bold really taught me that you need to make very bold decisions and you need to really just take that leap of faith. And you can build multiple projects at the same time. So many books and so many mentors or coaches really teach you to just focus on one thing, but you really need to look at your own personality, your lifelong goals, what you want to accomplish with your life, 
the resources that you have available to you. And then you can work on multiple projects at the same time. You can have multiple successes at the same time. And he talks a lot about like innovation, looking to the future, you know, creating a business that will thrive, not just today and next year and two years from now, but what's that industry going to look like in five years, 10 years from now, right? So that really opened up my eyes as well. That's incredible. My goodness, you did a ton of soul searching. Absolutely. Wow. And how did you actually make these a habit? So after you learned them, because, you know, like we get super inspired by something and then all of a sudden we're like, yeah, we want to do it. Like, how did you then integrate it? I always love learning this. Like, what are the hacks of your integration of like changing these mindsets and different things that you that you did? Because everyone's different with how they've adjusted based on what they learned. Right. So totally. So the first step for me was realizing that I could. And I've got to give huge credit to Caleb Miller who kicked my ass when I wanted to go to the gym and I didn't want to go to the gym and he would pick me up every like three times, four times a week. And I'd go to the gym, I'd work out and I hated it for the first three months. But then again, I got addicted when I saw the results. I saw three months of work and I thought, whoa, like I actually look a little bit different. This is crazy. So then I started to put in the work and I had the belief. So I worked on the belief and then that routine, I translated into like every aspect of my my life. So when I was starting to look at personal development, I thought, okay, well, I don't need to be perfect, you know, just do it three times a week, just do it four times a week, build that habit 10 minutes a day, or 10 pages a day for reading. It was just the small steps, you know, it was really just a huge series of small steps, and then finding the, the enjoyment within that, and then compounding on that. Right, absolutely. I love that. I love that. Well, you had a cheerleader in your life, right? That just like pushed you and pushed you and pushed you, picked you up, made you go to the gym, right? And then you saw it. And then, you know, once you see the results, you just can't go back because you're just like, you become addicted to success. And I think that that's, that's a real thing. People have warned me, they're like, Pam, you're just like a, an addictive overachiever, apparently. I'm like, yeah, that's it. Because once yeah. you start winning, you don't stop, right? Because the feeling of winning feels so good. Like, why would you, right? Yeah. So I was like the same thing for you. Absolutely. You find the fun and the joy in it. And then you never want to go back. Like I'll never ever since I started going to the gym when I was 16. The longest break I've ever taken was a month, you know, and it was because of an injury. But like, it's not because I need to go to the gym. It's because I love to go to the gym. I don't read books because I have to read a book. It's because I love reading books. It's because I want to and you know, in the beginning, you don't there's so many things where you need to build that habit. But then once you've realize that it's worthwhile for your life, you start looking at all the positive aspects of how it's affecting you and where you're going, then, you know, I use that as fuel. Absolutely. I love that. So walk me through your career journey from, from kind of like start to finish, like where'd you go to high school and kind of rock and roll from there? Awesome. Sounds good. I'll do a, a quick high level overview, then you can dive into whatever you want. So I always tell everybody my first entrepreneurial journey was with selling fireworks in elementary school and high school. <laughs> so I hired my brother to go and pick them up and I would sell them. And I started making anywhere from like 500 to $2,000 per Halloween when I was in like grade eight, grade nine, grade, and grade seven was the first year that I did it. And then I started buying and selling snowmobiles, dirt bikes, skateboards, you know, you pretty much name it. I bought it and sold it in high school. So that was a lot of fun. And then I wanted to start working as soon as I could at 14 years old, I was carrying wood in the lumber mill. I went to high school at Walnut Grove Secondary School here in Walnut Grove Langley. Um, I would longboard to the mill after high school and um, got a workout in while I was getting paid to do it, carrying wood. And then I wanted to 
figure out a really good fallback plan that I knew I wanted to go in business, but I was in you know high school. I was in grade 10. I had no idea what I wanted to do, whether it's life insurance, finance, business. And I, for some reason, I intuitively knew that I didn't want to go to university or college for business because I just didn't really see that being the option. I wanted to actually do it. And I started a few different businesses. But so with that being said, I looked at construction and I started working in construction. Uh, I looked at electrical. I got, uh, did electrical studies. I got my Red Seal electrical done by 20 or 21 years old because I started when I was in grade 11, which I think is 16. Started doing a lot of affiliate marketing because I love sales and people saw how business minded I was. So they pulled me into their companies to help them sell stuff. So I was doing affiliate marketing in the evenings and weekends outside of construction till about 21 and then built teams of about 20 to, well, I guess my largest team was probably about 45 people. So I did that. And then at 22, started my own electrical contracting company and started learning a lot more about finance, even though I had been investing a lot during that time period since 17, 18 years old. Uh, I know you can't legally invest at that point, but my dad, I used his account at the time. <laughs> <laughs> And then at 23, I co-founded my first investment fund called Squadra Capital. And then after that, raised capital for that fund, a commodity and currency trading fund, and built a team of people for that. Then networked with a lot of high net worth entities and individuals, family offices, VCs, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and then co-founded a consulting firm to help companies raise money, help with patent applications, help with international expansion sales. That's called Elteza Capital. And then I started a third company called NXT Digital, which is a Web3 focused and NFT company focused on opportunities in that space. We helped artists with listing their, their artwork as NFTs. We have a virtual art gallery being built out. And then outside of that, I was doing like consulting and coaching work for in entrepreneurs as well as companies. And I brought together about 11 consultants and started Alita International Consultants, where we assist with everything. We've got leadership experts, artificial intelligence experts. I'm on the finance side of things and fundraising. We've got inter PhDs in international business. We've got social media experts. We've got health experts and saw that we were all just doing the work independently. And I said, hey, why don't we all come together and start an organization and collaborate and assist companies with not just finance, not just leadership, but let's do you know, a combined offering. So those are the four main companies at the moment. That's amazing. No big deal. Just, you know, the big four. And that's, <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> that's amazing, Tom. You're, you're literally an entrepreneur by trade, straight up. Like you just like, it's in your blood, you live, breathe it. Like, <laughs> and I can tell you're nowhere close to being done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're just, we're just getting warmed up. We're just getting warmed up. Still so much to learn. So much to learn. I'm growing so much every day and I'm, I'm so grateful for everything. And yeah, it's, it's really getting excited. I've never been so much, so excited in my life. Like I'm so excited for the future. It's going to be a lot of fun. That's so incredible. I mean, I, I just, I love what you've built and I want to reel back and really talk about it quite a bit because I just think it's absolutely fascinating. So, I mean, the companies that you started when you were about 21 years old and you scaled them to, you were saying about 50, 40, 50 per team. Yeah, yeah. So actually earlier than that, I started at 17, 17, 18, 19. I started like 17, 18, 19. I was very, very shy. I had an extremely hard time talking to people. I'd overcome massive limiting beliefs and develop my communication skills. So I really just worked on myself from 16 to about 19. 
And then I started getting some traction, had a team of about 11 people at that point. And then at 21, worked with another company and had a team of about 35. And then at 22, it was about, yeah, 50 people at that time. That's insane. So how did you overcome those limiting beliefs for yourself? Because I was just going to ask, you know, what's been some of like your biggest challenges is obviously nothing comes without, you know, struggle, especially when it comes to business, right? So what were some of the biggest challenges and how did you overcome them? Totally. And I love to highlight this one as much as possible, because I think this is a real, you know, problem for a lot of people. It's a real limiting belief for a lot of people. And mine was communicating with people. It was so hard. And I would go into a sales meeting for affiliate marketing company. And I would sit in the parking lot like 30 minutes early at a coffee shop. And I would be like in a cold sweat. I would be so nervous to talk to this person about what I wanted to sell them or potentially recruit them to come and work with us. And I was just like terrified. And I call my coach or my mentor at the time who had more experience than I did. And I would just be stressing, <laughs> be stressing so hard. And he'd be like, Tom, don't worry. You've got this. You've got this. Like, just go in there. Like, who cares if it's good or bad? Just go in there, have the conversation. Even if it's 15 minutes, just go and do it. And that was the pain I had to go through, like for, for so many times. You know, the first 10 meetings were awful. I was in cold sweats. I was so nervous. I felt sick and I just did it. And I was like, hey, I'm just going to do it. Like, even if it's not good, it's, it's fine. You know, I'll go in there instead of in 45 minutes, it's 20 minutes because I was so nervous. And just through like doing it, you know, it's through action is how I overcame a lot of those limiting beliefs. And I would just push through it. I would reach out to people who were good at it. And I would ask them questions and I would really lean on them for support and encouragement and hope that they could give me some kinds of words of advice that would encourage me to go and do it. And then I just made the commitment of, okay, I'm going to just do it until it becomes more natural. And it took me probably like 40, 50 meetings before I was actually really comfortable and confident with my, my sales abilities. Right. And then the next hurdle was public speaking and I hate public speaking. So what do I do? I go to Toastmasters and force myself to do it. Right. So, yeah. I love that. I love how you force yourself to do it. It's easing into the fear. You take it like little by little by little. You speak in front of five people, then 10 people, then, you know what I mean? And you scale it up because, you know, the thought of speaking in front of a hundred people could terrify anybody. Right. But if you start to do it little by little, then all of a sudden it's not so scary at the end of the day. That's incredible. That's yeah. incredible. Exactly. Just like the compound effect with that 1% a day, right? You can do one 15 minute sales meeting, or I even just didn't even start with that. It was just a conversation, just go in there and talk with them. Like that's how nervous I was. It was crazy. Right. And it was just 1%, 1%, 1%. And now I, I do presentations to boards of companies and stuff like that. Right. And I could never even imagine doing that, you know, talking with CEOs, talking on podcasts, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So yeah, just if I can give one word of encouragement to the listeners would be like, just whatever you don't want to do, whatever you know is holding you back from progressing, just look at it in bite-sized pieces and just try to step into it slowly. Don't try to step on a stage with 10,000 people, you know, just practice doing a toast at your friend's dinner or, you know, do a toast at a family get together, whatever it is, right? Just ask people, you know, do it step by step. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Tom, for that. And I mean, throughout you started so young and like building these companies out and like you've built up to a team of 40 50 and now you're doing all these presentations worldwide and all these things what are some of your biggest tips to success and how you made that happen right because there's entrepreneurs that have a really hard time with scaling 
myself included, right? It's there's always feels like there's like these limitations on it, right? So how do you, how did you find the secret sauce for scaling up and building out massive teams the way that you have? I would say learn by doing and doing it and step by step. And then you need to have the discipline as well. So work on that. And then the second one would be, I've always been really great at like, like I mentioned earlier is when I need help, I, I'm not afraid to ask for help. You know, I'll reach out to somebody that's got a company that's larger than mine of 100 or 200 or, you know, people or they've done way larger public speaking events. And I ask them for help. I've had many different coaches and mentors, and I've had many that I pay for that I don't pay for. I've spent over 100,000 on on different coaches and whatnot. And that's been absolutely huge for me. And then I also use comparison to my advantage opposed to my disadvantage. So with scaling, I was just coaching a landscaping company about this. And, you know, he's like, oh, I've got, you know, seven guys and I can't scale because I need to be there. And I'm like, let's do a comparison here. Let's look at somebody like Richard Branson, who is his name attached to like over 450 companies, Jeff Bezos or Bill Gates. And they've got like 70,000, 80,000 employees in, in Amazon, or maybe it's 100,000 or something like that. But anyways, like with that, it's like, how could you ever get anywhere close like what are they doing so differently that you're stuck at seven and they've got 70,000 80,000 right and you know it's the same thing with me as I look at my four businesses and I'm like oh I'm getting so stressed and it's like this that and the other thing this is wrong I can't scale I can't scale it's like well how can Tony Robbins have over 100 companies you know what I mean so like when I think about that I realize that the only issue is the way that I'm choosing to think about it, the way that I'm thinking about it, the way that I'm delegating, the way that I'm creating systems, the way that I'm partnering with people, because I can't be the bottleneck of this. I can't It's just not going to work. It's never going to scale. And it's just always a problem is being the bottleneck, whether it's 10 people or 100 people, you'll always have a bottleneck at a certain point, And it's all based around your limiting belief. So for me, it's having somebody that I can talk to that's surpassed all of this and my, and my current business coach he's you know managed 30,000 employees plus right so with that you know a day in my life is a walk in the park for him like it's like the easiest day ever so having that mindset that I can pull on is absolutely crucial so I really encourage people to have somebody that they can have as a sounding board that they can ask questions of whether you pay for them or you don't because it's a friend or or somebody like that. So I would say learn by doing discipline, having people that you can bounce ideas off of and work on your mindset would be the, the biggest ones. And then creating systems, delegating work, etc. Absolutely. And, and that's, I think, the hardest part, right? Like, what are the logistics and like stepping outside of your business, right? Because especially small business owners, they're often working in their business, and they can't step themselves out. So it's like, how do we get them to focus? And I think it's just systems of delegation, like step by step, right of things that like you should not be doing, right. And that's what I tell every entrepreneur, I'm like, listen, for me, one of my biggest things was operations, there was paperwork and things that I absolutely hated. So the first thing I did, hired somebody for operations, and then I'm like marketing, I don't want to be posting on social media, I don't want to be doing yes. this stuff. So I hired a social media person. And it's like, you know, small steps that you scale out and then you see kind of what's, what's necessary from there. I mean, it's been a, it's been a struggle for me because I, you know, for me, I was always like for the longest time, I can do everything, you know? Yeah. So it was the last, you know, few years that I was able to take it and, and kind of like keep growing, but it's, it's tough, man. It's not it is. Easy. Especially when it's a startup, you're like, Oh my God, I'm just trying to grasp this myself first. And then, you know what I mean? And then you have a team alongside of you building out the team that's like a whole nother thing so it takes some real 
strategic vision and like systems and processes and then like figuring out the delegation and kind of like not overspending on employees and stuff like that too because that was like one thing you know don't hire so much at once that you get overwhelmed kind of do it one step at a time because it can you just lose yourself (laughs) so I always love hearing the journey with that because it's every business is different for sure you know there's some that more sales reps and things like that but like for me it was like ah I have so many different companies it's like how do I scale this already and I had that too where I was like oh nobody can do it better than me and I'm just like oh god learned the lesson like five six years ago you know that when I was completely burnt out and overwhelmed right Totally. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs, they are like perfectionists a lot of the time too, right? It needs to be done their way and it needs to be done like this and like that. And it's hard to let go of that sometimes. You know, I did the same thing. You know, I was wanted to write every document. I wanted to be involved in everything all of the time. And then I started to like do tests where I'm like, ah, I just don't want to be involved at all. And it actually got done better. I was like, what? Like when I'm not involved, these guys do better work than when I am involved. I'm like, perfect. This is phenomenal. (laughs) Right. So just like letting go of that perfection mindset of you need to be able to do everything and it needs to be done a perfect way. And it's like, you know, it's just not scalable at all. A hundred percent. And then also like listening to them, like same thing. Yeah. Like what you just said, like they did it better. Like literally I listened to the feedback my team gives and I'm like, that's genius. Yeah. Yeah, Right. I'm like, I, it makes me realize how much I don't know, you know, but you can't see certain things. You can't step outside of it sometimes. Right. So your employees are, you know, it's your team, it's your family. So I love that. I love that. And I mean, so you've now built, so Alteza is really a fundraising and capital investment fund, correct? Correct. Yeah. Primarily more on the assisting companies with raising capital, as well as consulting, international sales, consulting, international growth. Yeah. That's incredible. Well, that's one of the things that, you know, everyone struggles with is where do I find the money? Yeah. And you have the answers, my friend. So what are some tips? (laughs) (laughs) What are some tips in in your experience and things that you've seen different scenarios or or anything that you think would be helpful to anybody, anybody listening? Mm -hmm. There's, there's so much one that I would start off with, which is kind of targeting more of the starting entrepreneur is your idea Oh, there's so many different aspects I can go with this. But like a lot of people, they have you have to realize that venture capitalists, investors see 10, 20 projects a week minimum. Right. So what you need to create a case for is like how you're making a disruption in the market. Right. Like, how are you unique? And then the experience of the team, what you're bringing to the table. And, you know, I've been pitched so many like NFT exchanges or, you know, cryptocurrency exchanges like, well, there's already so many of them. Like, why would. Why would we invest in that? What are you doing different? I mean, there's Binance, there's Kraken, there's massive exchanges already. So when you're coming up with an idea, try to make it disruptive. You know, how is it making the industry better? Or how is it a win-win situation? You know, this person's going to want to purchase from you for this reason, because it's going to help them. But then these people are also going to want to purchase from you for this reason as well. So the idea is obviously really important. Your founding team needs to be really, really solid. You know, make a very clear plan on how you're actually going to create that MVP, how it's going to be profitable. If you can actually put cases in place where you're already making money, that is huge. Generally, the parameters that we look for, they've already raised three to four million. So they, you know, have already proven to be successful. And then they're making about 600,000 or more per revenue in the year. So they've already got an MVP and they're revenue generating. And then also realize that you're going to have to go through the numbers. You know, a lot of people, they think that, hey, I'm going to go and I'm going to pitch 10 or 20 
VCs and investment funds, and then I'm going to get my capital. And it's, it's not, it's not like that, <laughs> you know, get ready to do a hundred, 200, 300. I think, I think Uber was actually a really great example of that. And Airbnb, I think they pitched like about 130 each before they got their capital investment. And, wow. you know, if an idea like that, if a company like that needs to pitch that much, right? Like, so you've got to really take that into consideration. And yeah, just pitch, 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 go through the numbers as much as possible and, and take the feedback that you get really, really seriously. Yeah. That's incredible. So you said something super important, even Uber and Airbnb had to pitch 130 times before they got their capital. So yeah. sometimes we get frustrated right away of like, hey, why isn't my, you know what I mean? Like, why isn't this bank like, lending me the money to do this and this and this, it just, it's not a fit, go somewhere else, right? Like it doesn't mean that your idea sucks. It means you have to just keep going, right? Yeah. Because everybody's different and everybody's capital raises and everything that they invest in, like they have different criteria everywhere. Every investor has different things that they look for, right? If I'm not mm. mistaken. Yeah, and so they, yeah. they want to see certain things, but at the end of the day, I think, and this, this is my own take on this, but like if your business is providing a solution, you need to be able to clearly outline how that solution is happening, right? I feel like sometimes we get so overburdened with these massive pitch decks and all these things. And it's like, don't forget the simple logistics of like what it is that you do and how you make money, right? Yeah. Like how are you serving the community, right? Because sometimes like I remember looking back on like my college projects and things that we would have to pitch like for investors, we had to create VC decks and stuff. And I'm like, wow, I overcomplicated this so much and then i look at it now i'm like oh it's just this 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 you know and then add in all the data right so it's just yeah. fascinating how we can get wrapped up in that sometimes yeah yeah totally totally and like uh, what i've recommended with some people is they just put a basic pitch deck together if it's a new idea and then they go and they start getting feedback right away and you'll generally if you're open to the feedback and the criticism and you're not emotionally attached to this idea and it's your baby which is not a good idea when your business is your baby but like if you pitch it 10 times or 15 or 20 times and it's you're getting horrible feedback maybe you want to change the idea maybe you want to adjust to something else right if you're getting decent progress, then you can move forward with that. And like you said, having a clear plan of action, I consult for a, a resort project in the, in the US, they're building a location in Costa Rica and the manufacturing facility in Denver, Colorado. And when I had a conversation with the CEO, and I was considering helping her with her capital raise. She's like, okay, great. So I signed all the NDAs. I look through and she shares a data room with me. That was the largest data room I've ever seen in my life. Like it was so detailed on like where they're getting the materials from, where they're building. Here's like LOIs with potential properties. Like it was insane. She spent like a year and a half building this out. And I was like, okay, I'm going to take you to my groups because I had such a high level of confidence in her ability and her plan and her team and the contracting companies that were willing to back up and help build the projects. I took her to some of my largest, largest companies and it's, it's, it's doing phenomenally well, phenomenally well. But because she had such a great plan of action, I was like, this is awesome, awesome, awesome credibility. So yeah, absolutely. Like you said, that's amazing. Oh my goodness. I love that. I love that. So we'll, we'll just send everybody your way and uh, we'll, we'll handle it that way. Sound good, Tom? <laughs> yeah, that works too. Yeah. Yeah. Super it is really, it, it's a hard dynamic to talk about because there's so many ideas where people have them and it's like, you shouldn't spend a lot of time on this idea. Right. And then you've got the ideas where it's like, okay, this is a good idea. Just go through the numbers. But like identifying those two differences is quite difficult. Right. It's like, should I spend a year putting time and effort into developing this idea? 
or am I wasting my time with this idea? So you really right. need to balance it of like, have an idea, figure out if it's going to work. You need to talk to whoever you need to talk to, whether it's VCs or friends or family or different companies, really see if this is going to work and then put the time into building it. But unfortunately, you see a lot of people that they'll put a year, two years, three years into not a good idea. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Because I mean, some of the things sound really amazing when you talk about it and stuff but then when you lay it out pen to paper the it's the beauty lies in the execution of it right an idea can sound as brilliant as you want it to but then when it gets to the execution and looking at the actual numbers you're like oh okay or like the logistics of running a business right like there's you got to think about things from a realistic point of view if you are here and your manufacturer is four thousand miles away what happens if there's a delay and then you can't get it to your customers you can't it's like it's like a whole whirlwind of stuff so yeah, no, I appreciate those tips. So anybody who's listening, you know, a lot of aspiring entrepreneurs and a lot of people looking to do capital raise and it's like, how do you do that? So that's amazing. And you mentioned um, that you created a group with of consultants that you're all in different spheres, but you kind of combine together as one unit, which I think is so powerful. As I always say this, further, faster together. You could be a superhuman by yourself, but it, the minute that you're surrounded with others, it's like everything just goes like a hundredfold. So I think that that's amazing. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Yeah, I appreciate that. Of course. So what's going on in your world, Tom, in like the next six to 12 months? Like what's happening? Fill me in. (laughs) (laughs) Right now, because I have grown at the pace that I have over the past like two or three years, and I've got this problem where I keep coming up with ideas and then I start launching new companies. I'm trying to dial that in a little bit (laughs) because I've got another like two or three that are in the background of what I'm doing with these four that I don't talk much about. But yeah, right now I'm really just working on myself, actually developing my mindset further, growing further skills, really investing into consultants and coaches who can help me with that. I really changed the amount that I've worked in my businesses to reducing it so that I can have more time to work on myself and reflect and think about like, how can I delegate more? How can I create better systems? How can I really have a a scalable mindset. So I'm really focused on that with the companies that I have right now, really want to continue working with those and scaling those larger few other projects in the background. I'm excited to launch those in the next year or two. And yeah, just really have a lot of fun and enjoy life and not just grind all day, every day. Like so many people talk about, like I was just talking with a friend about this and until I hired this business coach, he's 62 and he's, he's done everything you can imagine. You know, he's made every, all the amounts of money that you wish you could make and done everything. And he's like, Tom, like you don't want to just get in this mindset of grind, 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 because you're going to grind through your twenties. You're going to grind through your thirties. You're going to grind through your forties. And that's exactly what he did. He's like, the trick is to really enjoy and have fun while you're pursuing what you want to pursue. And, you know, my definition of success is pursuing worthwhile destinations on the most enjoyable journey as possible with the greatest company as possible. So that's what I've been really trying to focus on lately. It's like I've had these audacious goals that I want to accomplish, but I used to only want to be there and I'm going to hate my life while I worked on getting there. Like this literally like how I thought pretty much because that's how I thought I had to be successful. But now it's like, well, I want to work with people that I have a ton of fun with. I want to enjoy this journey and really enjoy what I'm doing on a daily basis. So over the past seven months, this mindset shift has been absolutely huge. And I want to be able to work, you know, four to eight hours a day and have a normal life where I can still hang out with friends or go traveling or enjoy this and enjoy that. And I'm lucky that I 
absolutely love my my business life so a lot of the time it doesn't feel like work you know like this doesn't feel like work like this is awesome I'm having a chat with my good friend Pam this is wonderful right so I would say over the next year two years three years is scale the companies continue to work on myself and my mindset create more win-win situations so that you know either I'm partnering up with a business or creating a new business it's beneficial for all parties involved everybody's happy everyone's winning together and just really focus on building you know, communities of people within companies that enjoy the process and, and we all win together and, and scale from there. I love that, Tom. And now I have, I have a question for you since now you talked about mindset and like you're really focused on enjoying and all the things. What would your older self tell your younger self based on what you know now? Oh, that's a good one. Older self would tell myself, younger self now <clears throat> would be really focus on enjoying the process more. I would also tell myself that you made your own you, you, were, you were pursuing freedom so much that you created your own prison. I started to schedule my days in 15 minute increments from when I woke up to when I was going to sleep, when I was going to go to sleep. So like, you know, I was reading at this 15 minute interval, then I was going to have lunch for these 30 minutes. Then I was going to go to the gym for an hour and 15 minutes. Then I was going to drive to this meeting for 45 minutes. Then in between that meeting, I was going to make these two phone calls while I was going to the other meetings. And like, I was pursuing freedom. And I, I have like a great amount of discipline, but I created my own prison. And like, I was totally imprisoned to my own mindset. And I scheduled like three hours of fun every week, whether that was, that was including time with my friends and family. So like, if I wow. saw my brother for one hour or I saw my mom for one hour or whatever it was. And thank God I had a transformation coach that totally helped me realize that I was creating this and I was able to change after two years. But I would really tell myself to like spend some time thinking about truly what do I want to accomplish? How do I want to accomplish it? And then how can I have the most fun and enjoyment while I'm accomplishing those things? And have more grace with yourself as well. I was extremely, and I still am, but I'm working on it, like extremely hard on myself with not being far enough along, with not accomplishing more, with, you know, all this kind of stuff. My business coach just told me two weeks ago, he's like, Tom, you haven't given yourself a pat on the back since you were 13 years old. And I'm like, that's totally true. So yeah, yeah, I would, I would really be considering a lot of those things that, that life is a journey. It's not a destination. And you know, beating yourself up the whole time while you're on that journey is really not beneficial for you or others around you as well. That energy gets tossed on to people around you. And you know, yeah. being a person of joy and happiness is way more productive than being a person of like discipline and misery and hustle culture and, yeah. and just, you know, doing all that kind of stuff. So I love that, Tom. It resonates so much with me because I'm same exact brainwaves as you. I've always been like super hard on myself on the things and like, you know, people look at you and they're like, oh my God, like all the things you've accomplished. This is crazy. That's insane. Like, holy crap. And meanwhile, you're here like, I don't even feel like I'm there yet. You know? So I totally get you on that. I'm trying to be nicer with myself and really give myself grace and like, remember like that pat on the back, like, Hey, listen, look at your life. How it was 10 years ago and compare it to now. And you know, there's been a huge amount of growth there. And, and I too, am also learning to enjoy the process, even though, you know, the perfectionist in me is always like, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. trying to take over. 
because you know at the end of the day it's like it's the memories we create in this life and it's like you know if we're constantly thinking in the future we can't enjoy the present right so that's the really hard part about being an entrepreneur is we're always thinking over here but we got to remember to be down here too to enjoy mm -hmm. life because it's then it's like what are you really working for right like i know people who are multi multi-millionaires and even billionaires and they get to a point where they're like Pam, I, I had to sacrifice my health or my marriage or my relationship or or my, something. They sacrifice something to get there, right? And then yeah. they regret it when they get there. And then it's like, well, what was it really all for then, right? Totally. Such a huge lesson for, for anyone who's listening. It's like, listen, work's never going to stop. Business is never going to stop. You need to set yourself back and give you that grace period for sure. Yeah. And that was just along the lines of what you were saying is that's what the one of the realizations I had was I was thinking about like, man, how could a billionaire be miserable? And then I'm like, I saw this thought pattern in my own life as to, you know, okay, I made 30 bucks an hour, and then it was 50 bucks an hour, then it was 100 bucks an hour, and then it was, you know, 100k a year, then it's 200k a year. And then it's like, wow, like, am I still going to have this mindset of 10 million? Now I need 25. Now I need 50. Now I need 200. Yeah. And it's like, it's really like an addictive kind of mindset that you need to be able to break because you can be worth two, three, four billion dollars, and you're not happy that you're not worth $10 billion. Like, when are right. you ever going to start to enjoy your life and, and be happy, right? And then, you know, you say you're worth a billion dollars, and then there's a huge financial crash. And now you're worth 500 million, and people will commit suicide over that, right? Like, they're still worth $500 million, but they'll commit suicide. And, you know, like mental health is such such a huge issue and something that probably is should be talked more about in the entrepreneurial world. But yeah. That is something that, you know, I really, really want to focus on. I'm super grateful for my coach that he drills that into me all the time about, mm -hmm. hey, you know, this happens, that happens, but you know, it's not the end of the world, right? So absolutely, Tom, you're absolutely amazing. My goodness, I can't wait to like follow you on your journey and see how you continue to elevate and your companies and all all the things. It was such an honor to have you here today, my friend. Now you gotta let everyone know where to find you and your awesomeness and your companies, everything. First off, you're going to find me on the Underdog Podcast with Pam. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely love your podcast. Thanks so much for having me here. It's it's always fun having great conversations with you. Where people can find me is the best location is just tommaze.com. Uh, with that, I'll have links to all of my companies so you can explore those and research more if you want. And then social media, you can find me just Tom Mays or go to my Tom Mays website and you'll have the links to there as well. You're amazing, Tom. Thank you again so much for being here today. It was truly an honor. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, my friend. Awesome. No, thank you. Pleasure was mine. So that's it for today's episode of Underdog. Catch us next week, always dropping on Thursdays. And remember, if you're interested in real estate or want to learn how to create more money and magic in your life, check out meetwithpamela.com and let's chat. Sending you so, so much love. All we know is over time, working like some underdogs. Underdogs. Underdogs.